In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today we are on the eve, on the doorstep of Great and Holy Lent, which we will begin with the rite of forgiveness this evening. And the church sort of gives a moniker to this Sunday as Forgiveness Sunday, because the Gospel reading is about how we can't take up any good and holy work without forgiving others the things that they have offended us by their actions, and that our very salvation is based on the forgiveness of God into our own souls. And with, because we begin the Great and Holy Lent with the rite of forgiveness by asking, embodying this, going before face to face to all of our fellow strugglers in Christ and asking for their forgiveness. So we call this Forgiveness Sunday. And this forgiveness, what I want to emphasize, is the basis of the fast. If you fast well in your diet, but do not have forgiveness, it's nothing. So how do we have a holy fast? How do we take up Great Lent with the proper mindset? So I want to talk about various aspects of what is the proper way to approach the fast today that we have heard in the Gospel and in the Epistle. This is what the Church is trying to teach us in this day. So Christ tells us that we must fast in secret. Why does he tell us this? For it's a publicly proclaimed fast, Great Lent, right? We begin on this day, we end on this day. That doesn't seem like much of a secret. But what Christ is telling us and how the church is following this is that everyone takes up Great and Holy Lent, maybe at the same time, but each one of us has a unique experience of Great Lent, a unique fast, if you will. And when we don't proclaim how we are taking this up, we don't go about on the street corners saying, I'm giving up such and such. I am following to the strictest rules. Then we aren't following the words of our Lord. Rather, he tells us to fast in secret in the way where we turn to ourselves and not outward as a proclamation. The fast is all about you and your journey toward God with the community. So it's this turning inward to ourselves, to look at ourselves and not at others, that is the basis of Christ's teaching that we should fast in secret. And when we turn inward, then we are given great fruits. But when we turn outward, we don't have the fruits that we are supposed to gain in deeper ways or perhaps in new ways for some of us deeper levels of self-control of those things that distract from God, and perhaps the more the unspeakable things, the things that are difficult to communicate, those spiritual fruits that we get from Lent. So true fasting must be tied to it being a secret, not that we're something proclaiming out on the hilltops. True fasting must be tied also to repentance, and of course repentance is always tied to forgiveness and the redemption of, uh, from our sins by our God. So we often make that mistake of thinking that Great and Holy Lent is about following the rules, or which rules I am not able to follow, or the rules, hey, I'm able to follow all of these. It's not hard for me. This is to miss the point. When we make this mistake, the great fast becomes rather the great time of judgment upon ourselves. Looking at the place and plates of our neighbors, thinking that I'm fasting better, 
or maybe they're too extreme in their taking it up. These dual sins of vanity and pride, by doing that, one places himself in God's seat. The seat of gazing at others' plates places us as the one who judges. And that seat is for God alone. So today, the church reminds us not to make this mistake. Rather, we are called to attend to our own fast as an attendance to our own repentance. He even says, Christ even says, to anoint yourself. And this is an allusion to the kings and the prophets of old, that we anoint ourselves when we take up our fast. And we seek the Lord and his will, just as the kings who were anointed by the prophets and the prophets who were anointed to be those who seek the word of God and give it. When we give up the little things that we consume for the greater things of the treasures of heaven, we are following in those footsteps. Christ, in this small portion that we have heard today of the Sermon on the Mount, is expounding on the Lord's Prayer that he has just given to his disciples. He has just taught them to pray the Our Father. And right after this, he tells them how to pray, how to pray first with the Our Father, then he tells them how to fast, and that they must seek forgiveness, and that they must have mercy. All of these are yoked together. And when they are not yoked together, they, we are spread out, and we do not accomplish the thing that God has before us. So again, we must have forgiveness, mercy, fasting, and prayer all tied together. What I want to focus in is this connection of forgiveness and fasting. What Christ calls forgiveness is mercy. That word there is leos, mercy. And he helped, this mercy helps us to put our treasures in heaven and not to focus on earthly things. When we give up the holding against of somebody, we are letting that go, and God is able to fill that space up again with the heavenly treasures that we seek. When we give this full commitment, and not just mental ones, to the process of the fast, then our earthly life can lead to God, and we are prepared for that next life. Forgiveness is God's primary desire for us in this season. The wise have always known and taught that righteousness and communion with God must also have forgiveness and mercy to be accomplished. Both from the one who is seeking that communion with God and his mercy, and for God to give that to us to be able to accomplish it. That is how we draw near to God. Christ, there's this very interesting parallel in this part of the gospel where he is almost quoting verbatim from the book of Sirach, the wisdom of Sirach. When Christ says and commands us to practice forgiveness, this closely parallels the wise counsel that Sirach gives, that Sirach gives in his book on the Old Testament. And it's worth reading that in full. This is what Sirach says. Anger and wrath, these are abominations, yet a sinner holds on to them. The vengeful will face the Lord's vengeance, for he keeps a strict account of their sins. Forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and then your sins will be pardoned when you pray. Does anyone harbor anger against another and expect healing from the Lord? If someone has no mercy, that's that word eleos, towards another like himself, can he then seek pardon for his own sin? 
If a mere mortal harbors wrath, who will make an atoning sacrifice for his sins? Remember the end of your life. And this is the advice Sirach gives. Remember the end of your life and set enmity aside. Remember corruption and death and be true to the commandments. Remember the commandments and do not be angry with your neighbor. Remember the covenant of the Most High and overlook faults. This is the warning that Sirach gives and that Christ is echoing and zeroing in on in this season and in his teaching to his disciples. It's a warning that a failure to forgive others, to not have mercy, will cause God to have vengeance and hold us to that account. If you hold that wrath, then wrath will you reap. Both texts here in the Gospel and in the book of the Wisdom of Sirach connect forgiveness of neighbor with prayer for forgiveness of one's own sin. And tellingly, both texts present the practice of forgiveness as a matter of fulfillment of and obedience to the law, to Christ's commandments, to God's commandments. It says, remembering the commandments and do not be angry with your neighbor. These two are the things that we are called to in this, in this time. So my brothers and sisters, keep your eyes on your own plate. Don't look to the kinds of sacrifices nor to the seeming blessings that maybe another receives, but strive for holiness. When you look and see others' plates, what they may have for, on them, what their responsibilities are, their blessings, their perhaps don't compare one another's fastings to one another. Because this turns you outward. And it is no benefit to your soul to do that. You can't see your soul on any plate but your own. By falling into the trap of comparing with one another and making a show of how we are fasting, we become like a flashing light, a temptation that people can't ignore. Then we act like a man who rips up a tree from the ground and then puts it on a concrete slab and then expects the tree to give him some fruit. We become like Cain, comparing his food sacrifice to that of Abel. That, and he becomes filled with jealousy over what he thinks are Abel's blessings and not his own. At the worldly abundance, perhaps, of someone else. And then wrath grows. Cain never thought to turn to the Lord and seek what he desires from him. Cain could have done this and avoided the murder in his heart and made an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. Instead, he remained closed off and let sin crouch at his door. So don't be like Cain in your heart. Rather, turn to God and discern the acceptable sacrifice unto him in this season. If you haven't done this thought, thinking about what your acceptable sacrifice could be in this season, pray. Ask for priestly advice. It's not too late. The hour is now. Cain placed himself where God ought to sit. God is the judge of each of his servants. Let him be the judge. Don't put yourself in that seat, but rather place yourself firmly in the ground before that throne by your fasting and your ascesis and look only to him to make that acceptable sacrifice. St. Maximus tells us a way to practice a good asceticism with the correct view, and he asks us to, to ask this of ourselves first. Who does not have darkness and evil residing in him? Who can escape 
the litany of sins and the works of darkness that awaits to reveal itself in our lives. That is always somewhere in us. Nobody is completely free of them. This is what St. Maximus tells us. If we know this, how could we judge or even think about comparing ourselves to another? All we can do is strive to remove those things that prevent us from staying before our Lord's presence. So fasting ought to be done without this show of your discomfort to your neighbor. Look at what I am sacrificing. It is done, rather, for the communion with the Lord. And by not displaying it, we turn inwards to look at ourselves only. So we must practice the fast not by its rules, but by its fullness. And St. John Chrysostom has this wonderful thing that he opens up. As we close Lent with Great and Holy Pascha with the words of St. John Chrysostom, I want to open it up for how St. John says to practice the fast well. What we have said, but he says it so succinctly. The value of fasting consists not in abstinence only from food, but in relinquishing of sinful practices. Since he who limits his fasting only to an abstinence from meat is he who especially disparages it. Do you fast? Give me proof by your works. If you see a poor man, take pity on him. If you see a friend enjoying honor, do not envy him. For let not the mouth only fast, but also the eye, the ear, and the feet, and the hands, and all the members of our bodies. Let the hands fast by being pure from avarice. Let the feet fast by ceasing from running to forbidden spectacles. Let the eyes fast by being taught never to fix themselves rudely on some handsome countenance. For looking is the food of the eyes, but if it be unlawful or forbidden, it mars the fast and overturns the safety of the soul. But if it be lawful and safe, it adorns fasting. For it would be an instance of the highest absurdity to abstain from meats and from unlawful food because of the fast, but with the eyes to feed on what is forbidden. Do you not eat flesh? Do not feed on licentiousness by the means of the eyes. Let the ear fast also. The fasting of the ear is not to receive evil speaking or calumnies. That is gossip and evil words about another. You shall not receive an idle report, it says. The scriptures. Let the mouth fast from foul words. And for what does it profit if we abstain from birds and fish, and yet bite and devour our brethren. This is the disposition we should have as we take up Lent. It is with our whole beings. If we follow the words of Chrysostom and Maximus, and we take them as the words spoken into our heart, and we take up this kind of fast, we wholly rely on God's forgiveness and mercy by our fasting. And for no other reason do we give up food or entertainment or those other additional myriad of little but otherwise good pleasures do we give up. When you receive or meet those who are obviously different, this is yet another warning for taking up the fast. Those who obviously have a different situation in life, a different plate, if you will, maybe one more lavish or just so bizarre to us. Those who maybe are of a different culture or a different opportunity, a different gifting, those who may flaunt their freedom, whether it is illusory or actually a real freedom. It doesn't matter which. I mean all those difficult people to understand. 
Receive and treat those in hospitality and kindness when they are with you. Don't block yourself off from them. Don't allow yourself any judgment on them either. God works with them, so let him work. Just as he strove to redeem Cain, as well as his parents, Adam and Eve, he will redeem them. So, if this is all that we are giving up, all that we are fasting from, all of this abstinence, all of this ascesis, what are we to actually feed on? Because Lent isn't just a fast. It is also a spiritual feast. Eight weeks of spiritual feasting. So re- and in that feasting, we receive the food of paradise that was held in the garden of the church and offered to you on the plates of her divine services. Today we remember the expelling of Adam and Eve from paradise, but Great Lent is the journey back to paradise. Lent is the spiritual feast of the soul with many, many meals that we can join in. Adam ate these spiritual fruits often in the garden of paradise, but then he broke his bodily fasting and his spiritual fasting and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He trusted and believed the tempter and ate the fruit of disobedience and chose his own way. Heed the warning of his mistakes and journey into paradise again. The divine services of Lent are here as the sustenance for your soul. They are both the journey and paradise itself. No Lenten ascesis, no Lenten abstinence will work without those feasts for your soul contained in them. When the body fasts and has less stored up, the soul feasts on the banquet of the repentant hymnography of Lent. Your soul may draw from the deep wells of God's mercy at each of these services and drink of the forgiveness that heals the soul. So spend time listening to and praying the holy services of Lent. Join, look, and find those banquets that you may join. Make the services your spiritual plate and be renewed and ready for the feast surpassing all feasts, one of bodily and spiritual fullness. When you do the fast in this way, in the fullness of bodily sacrifice and in dedicating your time and attention on the ripening fruits in the garden, then the Lord gives you sin-destroying medicine and strengthens the practitioner of piety. These are the two things that St. Basil the Great says fasting does for us. Medicine to destroy sin, and it strengthens your faith, your piety in the Lord. What a great gift we are about to receive in these holy weeks. So my brothers and sisters, live the fullness of Lent in your soul by its feast of healthy spiritual food and the medicine that is given. And in your body, by the lessons of self-control and turning from distractions and from the darkness within, so that you may be wholly reminded of the mercy of God. In this way, your longing for him is deepened, and by your partaking, you become whole and strengthened. May we each have a blessed Lent as we take up the struggle and journey toward paradise in this great and holy Lent by our fasting, by our vigil, and by our journey, one another, and asking for one another's forgiveness. Amen.